Hi. Hi, bitches. <laughs> well, I've only had like mm, a quarter of a bottle of wine. Working that, on half You had like a little more than that. You had like a six. There's still some left in that glass. Yeah, and then once I finish it, it'll be a half. I've had a half. Yes, because your glass is empty. Fully. Yes. <laughs> well, we're back with some wine, friends. We're, we're prepared. We're prepared. Basic snitches time. That's cheers. right. What's up? Cheer. I can't cheers you because I drank all of mine, but the sentiment is there. I like it. This is Basic Snitches. Basic Snitches. And we're going to talk about Chapter 3 of Prisoner of Azkaban. That's right. The Night Bus. The Night Bus. I don't have anything exciting to talk about. Do you? No. No, we're really. boring bitches. Yeah, we just doing work and not sleeping enough and not drinking enough. I mean, we're drinking too much. Something like that. So we're just going to Not drinking about- enough. <laughs> if you catch our drift, there's things going on, but we're not going to talk about that. We don't want to talk about Because there's some positivity things. in this podcast. We're going to be positive. Yeah. We're going to we talk about alcohol and topic. Harry Potter. That's right. Which, what else matters, honestly? True. Alcohol and Harry Potter. Okay, so listen. Chapter two, the loser of the chapter is clearly Aunt Marge. Because yeah. she's the fucking worst. I hate her so much. And I'm giving the win to Harry because for the most part, he's able to like keep his shit together, which I can't do that. And I'm old enough to be his mom. So. Well, he did blow up his aunt. He did. But like it took him the whole chapter to get to that point. Yeah. It took, it yeah. took a lot of like emotional abuse before he got to that point. So. I'm giving him the win. Cool. And I mean, like, who else are you going to give it to? Uh, right. So I sent you a chapter summary. Oh, okay. Three. So here's our chapter summary for chapter three of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Night Bus. Harry runs away from home, or a few blocks away anyway, and he starts to plan his life as an outlaw on the run from the authorities with no muggle money. He's about to consider doing magic on purpose to find a way out of this when he accidentally summons a giant purple bus by tripping over his school trunk. That sounds like the beginning of, like, an X-Tube video. <laughs> he summoned the giant purple bus. <laughs> the door to the bus opens, and he meet a sassy bitch named Stan, who gives Harry shit for falling over. Then Harry gets onto the bus, pretends to be Neville Dunbottom, Ding! Just kidding, we're not doing that this season. And asks exposition questions so that we can understand this new magic known as the Night Bus. While the bus travels through basically the entire United Kingdom by Ernie, who is a terrifying driver, Harry asks Stan about Sirius Black, which leads to discussion about Voldemort, which leads to discussion about Harry, and we learn that Sirius Black murdered 13 people with one curse. Sounds like a chill dude. Anyway, so Sirius Black broke out of Azkaban, and now we understand the title of this book. And apparently, there's never been a breakout before. Basically, this is pretty serious. I see what you did there. (laughs) Stealing a joke from Puffs. Yeah. Okay. The night bus takes Harry to the Leaky Cauldron, where he is betrayed by the fucking Minister of Magic by giving away his real identity. So now, Harry has to go with Cornelius Fudge and is certain he's about to be sent to Azkaban. But instead, he's told, no, it's totally fine that you blew up your aunt. Please spend the rest of your summer unsupervised in fucking London. 
Except he has to stay in Diagon Alley, but why the fuck would he want to go anywhere else? Because magic. So Harry gets to stay at the Leaky Cauldron, and when he gets to his room, Hedwig is there. Pretty great end to a shitty day. Yay. There's a journey in this chapter. <laughs> a literal journey. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> because it begins in a place that's a little scary and ends in a place that is a little bit more like, okay, breath of fresh air. Didn't, didn't see us ending up here. It's yeah. a short chapter. It is a short chapter. I understand why it all happened like the way this chapter went because I was writing my summary and I was looking, you know, I was doing all my notes for the chapter and I'm like, overall, like I don't have a ton to say about it. It doesn't make any sense to put it into the next chapter because the night bus is new magic and there's a lot of exposition about Sirius Black and all of that. So yeah, I think that's the main thing. Like I said, it's like a from here to there kind of thing. But then also finally bringing up the thing about Sirius Black, what he did. There's a little bit of a hint of the big black dog that he sees at the beginning and like what that means. And that kind of carries on into the next chapter too. Right. But yeah, I think the main thing that you're focusing on outside of all those plot points is this new piece of new magic. Which is interesting. I think I have a lot of questions about this this new piece of magic. About so. this night bus. I yeah. do want to say that, and we'll talk about the movie later, the movie kind of fucks up our memory of it. Yeah. In the chapter, Harry doesn't come to the conclusion of the black dog. He's like, oh, there's something there between in this alleyway. Yeah. And then when he goes to look, that's when the night bus comes. So as we progress into the story, you have the realization that Harry thinks he sees the black dog there and then I was later on you learn that yeah. he does the movie just was like yep here's a black dog and yeah the night bus happens and you're like oh he's gone yeah um, that's true because my brain always was like oh yeah he sees a black dog and then I remember thinking that, that that's what he had seen and then I was reading this and I go oh he doesn't actually say that it's a dog he says he sensed something rather than heard it someone or something was standing in the narrow gap between the garage and fence behind him he uses lumos yeah so he uses fucking magic mm -hmm. which I forgot about out. Like, he actively uses magic. Yeah. yeah. And then he thinks he sees gleaming eyes. Quite distinctively, the hulking outline is something very big with wide gleaming eyes. And then he, like, steps away from it, and that's when he trips and brings the night bus. So it doesn't actually say it's a dog, but in my head, I'm always like, oh, yeah, Harris, he's a dog. Yeah. And I think because of things like the Grim coming up and something else from the next chapter. It makes him think that. Yeah. 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 That's also, a good point. Also, he's a 13-year-old boy who's terrified. Yeah. The other thing in this opening scene is his inner monologue, and we talk a lot about his inner monologue in the books because you don't obviously get it in the movies. Oh, yeah. And I think it is really interesting. I'm glad you brought it up in your summary because he is automatically like overthinking and going into this elaborate thing of like, oh my god, I fucked up. Now I guess I gotta be a criminal. It's yeah. Sarah. Well, Harry. also, like, it says the thing about how he starts to panic. It's less like, I have to get away from there. It's like, oh my god, where do I go from here? And that's how he gets into this thing about becoming a criminal, which I really enjoy because once he does get on the night bus and they start talking about a criminal, he starts relating himself to Sirius Black. And you're a kid. And remember his last experience of doing magic outside of school was him getting in trouble and being told he would be expelled. So he's got all of this, like, just running through his brain 
and I do, I love the whole, this is my plan. Maybe I'll just magically get myself to London and then when Gringotts opens, I'll get my money and then I'll just be on the run. Like just where his brain takes him. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it's, I think it's very relatable. Like I'm sure I've done ditch shit like this as a kid, you know? I mean, sometimes I do shit like this. Like, <laughs> as an adult. How do I start a new life away from everyone and everything and everything I fucked up? Yeah. I mean, there are some times where like a little seed gets planted and then you start to overthink and start to think like the worst or start to think ridiculous situations and everything. I mean, that's what he's doing here. I think it's something that people do, you know? It is very, very realistic and relatable. I have not finished a half a bottle of wine. Oh, she did it. She caught up. One bottle wine down. It's not banana wine this time. No. No, it's... we've moved past that for now. We might go back Chardonnay. to banana wine. Woo! Anyway. So, when the night bus comes, it's an interesting mechanism. We see a lot of new magic and new elements of this world being introduced in these early books. I don't know, I have a lot of questions about the night bus. So, when Stan Shunpike is introducing himself and saying what the night bus is, and he talks about how it's to rescue stranded wizards and stuff, I'm like, how often does something like this happen? And later on in the chapter, there's a large group of elderly wizards who leave the bus and it's almost like okay like why did they need to use the night bus why were they on there in the first place i almost think of like what a normal bus is it takes me back to the diary conversation that you had in the last season a diary or a journal is a place where someone can write down their feelings and, and get it all out and hopefully make some sense of it which is what makes the diary so terrifying and a bus sometimes i always think of like if you don't have another way to get from point a to point b there's always public transportation or the buses and now we live in cleveland we don't have the subway we don't have the l we don't have anything like that i personally think that our rta system is bullshit <laughs> from every time i've de dealt with them and how complicated it is i don't know I, I guess i don't like have the most high opinion of having to use a bus but here like it's such a different thing where they have these beds if you pay a little bit extra you get a hot chocolate and if you pay a little bit extra over that then you get a hot water bottle and a toothbrush that you, you can choose in any color that oh, you Oh yes. So they're trying to almost make it like a higher class experience perhaps. So I don't know, it, it raises a lot of questions that makes me wonder like why did they choose a bus? You know, it's branded as this like emergency transport and then like you said all these like elderly people who clearly get on there and not to like go too far into the discussion but in the fifth book, they book transportation on this bus. And Madame Marsh, who was mentioned in this chapter, is on the bus again. Hmm. So is it just emergency transport or is also regular transportation? Yeah, like are these people choosing this over apparition or over brooms or something, you know? like I wonder if because of the way Harry hailed the bus, you know, by sticking out his wand arm as it's explained in here, it is emergency transportation, but also... Maybe wizards are not always in dire need of a bus, so they maybe need to have it for elderly or for people who prefer to travel that way because they don't like flu powder or they don't like apparition. Mm -hmm. Because it can jump all over the fucking place. That's the only thing I can think of, but it, it's billed as emergency transport. Yeah. Well, another thing you thought of, and not to also go into the movie part, but like in the movie, Shan. A Shan. <laughs> you know, Shan. That's his name. Shan. Shan. Shan takes out like a little slip of paper and is like reading off of it. And it's almost like, okay, if this is like what you do, like you would have this spiel memorized. So I'm not trying to like make that, you know, part of the book or anything, but let's say 
that's how it actually happens. Maybe this is another service that they offer and originally it is this type of transport that is maybe a little bit more antiquated that like you said older wizards choose to use and is becoming a little bit more outdated so they're also offering it as an emergency service. Maybe there's that. Yeah I kind of want more information about the night bus. That would be cool. Yeah absolutely I agree. Once he gets on the bus, they ask who he is, and of course he mentions that he he's is Neville, Neville Longbottom. I think it's fascinating that Neville is the first person he thinks of. Yeah. I think it's foreshadowing, without uh-huh. getting in too much into discussion. If Harry's thinking of the first wizard he can think of, I think that his answer would be Ron. Just because of the choice to make it Neville, it makes me think to what their connection is. Yeah. Obviously, we don't we don't know their connection in these early books, but I think it's fascinating that he goes with Neville, and I never thought about it. That's a good point. I didn't look at it in that way, but what it did make me think of is a situation in book seven where something else similar happens, and I'm wondering if he's trying to like do a deep cut almost. Like We talk a lot about how Hermione and Harry and Ron are very interconnected, so maybe he's trying to distance himself a little bit even more from him. But also, who is Ron? He is a part of this large family. The father works in the ministry. They're yeah. all redheads. Like, Yeah. You don't know that in the wizarding world that if you hear Weasley, people are automatically going to think you're going to be a redhead. So that's true. That's a good point. But Neville Longbottom is also from an old pureblood family. So that's interesting. Yeah. Perhaps maybe because he is a little bit more of a minor character. Like, it would have been e- interesting if he had said... Seamus Finnegan, for example. Or I was literally like thinking the exact thing. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of different levels there that I think all of them could potentially be correct. Because I think that makes it fun. Yeah. Absolutely. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit there. Can we talk about their conversation about Sirius Black? Yes. I think it's interesting that he keeps calling, and this is not really about Sirius, but it's around the Sirius, keeps calling him Neville. You know, how when you're having a conversation with someone, I don't go, you know what I mean, Adam? Yeah, Adam. Like, he keeps calling him Neville. That is, so I've noticed it. Specifically in this conversation where Mm -hmm. they're talking about Sirius Black. I don't know if it's supposed to, like, get us kind of still thinking about Neville and, again, what we're going to learn more about him in the next book and what his history is because with everyone rallying around the idea of Sirius Black being one of Voldemort's number one supporters, I feel like if he knows anything about that, there's history. Like, Neville's family isn't exactly not well known. I feel like this part of the chapter and his repeating of calling Harry Neville is, like, putting them in that same place together around this idea of Voldemort. Yeah, I think that that's a cool way to look at it. I mean, I've definitely seen instances like that where, like, there is someone who constantly, like, repeats their name and stuff, and it's almost like trying to be personable, but it's that awkward thing. And you do get, like, this very awkward vibe from Shan... Shan... Wow, Shan. that is He's a always hard name to Shan. say. Why? Why is that he hard is, to say? He what, Stan Shunpike? Sh- Stan. Stan. I keep saying Shan. Call him Shan. It's His fine. name is Stan. He is an awkward Shan. fucking human being. But I like that deeper dig into there. I also just appreciate that there is this, this is where you're getting the first bit of your serious black information, though, in this chapter. Yeah. Something I thought of when I was reading this is like, when you think of the title of each book, you don't learn what the Philosopher's Stone is until about like halfway through. 
you don't hear about the Chamber of Secrets until almost a third of the way through the book. This is chapter three. We yep. just started. And like, oh, we ain't fucking around. this is. Yeah. We're also all the way into magic now. Halfway through last chapter. And even in the first chapter, we just got more magic. We're seeing less and less of the Muggles. In the next book, I mean, we're going to go right into it, you know? Pretty great. As I was even reading these two chapters, chapters three and four, I was realizing that they really were bringing up elements already of all the new things that we are going to learn. And we'll obviously get into that as as they pop up. But we never got kind of foreshadowing to other little things this early, I don't think. It really was a lot more like setting the groundwork, which you obviously have to do. I also find myself really thinking about like how the books really stand by themselves out of the series. Like we've talked about how the first book pretty good on his own. Even the second one could maybe be on its own. I mean, you should always read them all and in order, but this book, you really do get so much more into the details rather than getting some of that exposition, you know? Yeah. The other thing is that this bus is going all over the place. It's like apparating. Yeah, it's an apparating bus, basically. Yeah. Of course, we're not to the movie yet, but not that in the movie no. so it's fun though i think the bus is a little terrifying honestly oh it's 100 percent terrifying that at one point it says like a whole farmhouse had to like move out of the way ernie is a terrible driver yep when we get to our destination oh, yeah this is where he is greeted by cornelius fudge who like manhandles him of course like in this chapter this is the first time of harry like officially meeting him yes and I tried to look at it in terms of, like, what Cornelius Fudge is trying to do and, uh-huh. like, how he's trying to, like, protect and not be the one who has to tell information to him that somebody else maybe should be telling him and stuff. And I think I appreciated that. Even, like, when he gets off the bus and he, like, blows his cover, I'm like, well, Cornelius didn't know that he wasn't trying to hide that he's not Harry. Right. Well, this part of the book is not a time to be, like... Fudge sucks. He does suck. Spoiler warning, he's pretty terrible. But right now, he's pretty mild. In the chapter, it, it is very well described that he's, like, squeezing Harry's shoulder really hard and pushing him into the pub. I'm like, why are you manhandling this Yeah. Shoulder? I guess that's, like, a detail that kind of didn't pop out to me as much. And I think maybe what it is is him trying to, like, get him in, get him safe, trying to move him in so that he can kind of explain things a little yeah. bit. Yeah. It's showing a little bit of control over the situation, things like that. It's a little bit weird, too, like, now that you mention it. Yeah, it isn't just those things. Poor Harry is actually just used to people touching him and poking at him and having those physical interactions with him. They're like, oh, look at your scar, and they'll, like, touch his forehead, and he comes into this world and not really knowing anything. He's been physically guided. I mean, he is out of touch, too. Like, when you look at the broad scheme of things, not just in this chapter, you know, maybe he isn't completely thinking of the fact that, okay, this is a child and stuff, too, and he's probably a little bit terrified in the situation that he's in, so. And then once he starts, like, talking through things and saying, you know, how, oh, don't worry, we got the emergency people, I don't remember what they're called, but they got the emergency people. Accidental magic reversal. Yeah, those people. 
and and wiped Marge's memory and all of that, and how oh I'm I sure it'll nightmares. be fine. I, I mean, there's maybe something in her subconscious about this happening. You know, you never know. But yeah, talking about how oh the Dursleys they were kind of mad, but they'll have you back, and like not completely knowing Harry's story and everything. And we get into this thing which you had mentioned just now. It's the accidental magic yeah. brigade or whatever you called it. I like that. That's fine too. So it made me think of our conversation from the last book because we were talking about how they just kind of sensed that magic was in the home and the magic that Dobby did, Harry got blamed for. Obviously, there's something deeper to this and the whole protection of Harry and everything and trying to like maintain the status quo and make sure that he is not going to be murdered. Right. Made me wonder, okay, like, can they sense the type of magic and not the source of it? Are they able to tell, okay, this was magic that was not done purposefully, mm-hmm. and therefore it's handled in a different situation? Because what Dobby did had some pretty strong intent behind it. And it's also, I think, some, like, foreshadowing as well. When you really think of what happens with Sirius Black and Gabbers, there was an intent there, and they couldn't tell what the source of the magic was. Yeah. So it was the same sort of thing of what happened with Dobby and Harry. You know what I mean? I think it just overall goes to show you that governing law over magic is very dicey. Mm -hmm. And not as fine-tuned as it perhaps should be. I wonder if it can be fine-tuned. Perhaps. I'm sure we've had conversations about being able to maybe track underage wizards in particular. Right. I mean, that'll definitely be more discussion in the future, too, you know? Yeah. I mean, we can track, I think of, like, um, when somebody's under house arrest, for example. It makes me wonder, like, okay, perhaps there are some criminals out there that aren't in Azkaban, but they are able to track their ones or something. Like, there's definitely, like, muggle equivalents to it, so I wonder if that's something that they're able to do, you know? That's part of just the Wizarding World issue. (laughs) Yeah? So he kind of gives them that rundown. You're like, oh yeah, Harry, you're not being punished for that. You can go have another miserable summer next year. And that fucker leaves. Tom takes him to his room, and guess what? Hedwig. Hedwig is there. Hedwig is very smart. I love Hedwig. I'm so glad she's there. This ends in a really, really great place. I mean, we already talked about it, that there is this, like, great arc of it going from somewhere very uncertain to somewhere where it's like, ah, he's nice and safe. So there's a nice button on the chapter. This line has never hit me like this before. It's been a very weird night, Hedwig. That has never hit me. It really hit me this time. It's been a very weird night, Hedwig. Because I mean, then I'm like, yeah, it has been fucking weird. Also, yeah. everything is weird right now. So, Harry, I understand. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, if you, when you really think about it, like, it started with him blowing up his aunt. Yeah. Like, we have to remember that. Like, that is so- also part of this night, just not what happened in this chapter. The only other thing I have to say about this chapter, which I thought was kind of interesting, is how they keep calling Dementors Azkaban guards. They don't call them Dementors yeah. yet. Yeah. Which yeah. is very interesting, and I think it's simply a device to make it a little bit more suspenseful. Yeah. It actually happens, and you're like, holy shit, this is what the guards are? But I kind of enjoyed that. This goes into the next chapter, too. Well, and I also wonder if a lot of times referred to as the Azkaban guards. Yeah. Well, it's almost like he who should not be named and Voldemort. Like, maybe it's the same sort of thing of, like, people are afraid of saying the actual names of things that they're scared of, you know? Which is interesting because there's going to be a chapter coming up having to do with things that you're scared of, you know? Yeah, I'm glad you caught that. 
Fuck Mary Kill. Oh shit. Stanchion Pike, Ernie Prang. And he's not in the book, but he is in the movie. That little shrunken head. So are you killing the shrunken head? No, I'm killing Stan Shunpike because he's annoying as fuck. Ooh. Are you gonna fuck that shrunken head? Yep. And I'm gonna marry Ernie because I think he's adorable in yeah. the movie. The little old man who plays Ernie in the movie is so cute. I totally agree. <laughs> it is very, very cute. So essentially, what you're gonna do is make that shrunken head's head grow. If you know what I mean. Jesus Christ. Oh my god. I made, does that shrunken head have a dick? Or a vagina? I don't know. Whatever. Whatever you want. Whatever. I mean, he yeah, has a mouth. But do you have a dick? Well, <laughs> I answered your question. It's your turn. Okay. I ain't fucking that trunken head. I'll marry Ernie Prang. I think I'm gonna have to fuck Tramp for Stan Chin Pike. Shan? Shan. Uh, Shan. His name is Shan now. <laughs> I tried already. Oh my god. I don't Shan. know why. It's It's blending his names together. But yeah, I think that Ernie is definitely the one to marry. I don't know if that shrunken head. The shrunken head isn't in the book, which, I mean, essentially that could be our first movie thing. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. I fucking hate the shrunken head. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird little introduction. I mean, I'm sure that it's... One of those movie things that they put in, kind of like the fuzzy dice or things hanging from your rearview mirror, which, oh, okay. I've noticed, especially in this chapter, they definitely did some, like, embellishing in the movie. Oh, yes. I thought it was kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. I think the sequence was fun to watch. Yeah. From a movie standpoint. Uh, again, I hate the addition of the shrunken head. Because I think it's goofy. Yeah. Um, but I think the little old man who plays Ernie is adorable. Yes. I think the actor who's playing Sh Shan, as we call him, <laughs> I think he's a good choice. I really wish that his, like, purple uniform were more noticeable. Yeah, I guess um, that's true. You see it when they're, like, chilling in the bus, but I want it to be more noticeable from the beginning. Yeah. I do really like the portrayal of both of those characters overall, but I think the costuming there could have been a little bit better. Before we like get too much into the... I just want to go back to before the night bus, though. We've already talked about Daniel Radcliffe in the first couple chapters and like how you can feel his anger and frustration and fear just in those like three seconds of him running down the street, being upset, and then being like, fuck, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I think yeah. that that is some of his strongest acting up to this point. They really focus on it, too. Like, it's a little bit more prolonged. Well, because we don't have his inner monologue. Of right. What, you know, what do I do? I'm going to have to be on the run. The choice to do that and the way that that is portrayed, I think, is really well yeah. done. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they chose it to make, like, the ghost playground. Like, I think that is definitely some embellishing That fucking ghost playground. Like, it's not necessary at all. But, of course, then they have the dog come out. And, like, like you said, it really is a dog rather than, like, a dark figure. Yeah. And then, boom, like, he puts his wand out. This is where then it moves very fast. Like, I feel like when he is kind of going down the street with his trunk, it is a little bit of, like, building anticipation into, like, oh my god, what's going to happen? And then he sees the dog, he puts out his hand, he falls down, and then that bus is, like, boom, immediately there. Immediately there. It's like, wow, okay, not bad, not bad night bus. Also, something I noticed is that that bus takes care of its tires. Sure does. Doesn't nail the fucking beds down. No, but... not at all. 
it's all about curb appeal. Right? They're like, well, on the outside, it looks great. Yeah, like, those tires were shiny. And at first, it kind of looked like a donut or something that might not have a lot of, like, traction. You can actually even tell. I was, like, very focused on the tires of that bus. And then when you go into, it's like what I said about the book. It's almost like they're trying to create this different atmosphere. And there's, like, this chandelier going Oh, yes, the chandelier this... in the bus. Yeah, like, that was kind of interesting that I, I didn't really remember it. And I hadn't even remembered that it was triple-decker. I think it's fun. But even, like, the way that they have those buses in there, it is completely disorganized. Can we talk about how fucking unsafe the goddamn night bus is with, like, candles just floating around? There it is. And this fucker Ernie just floating across the country, just apparating everywhere. Some of those beds got bed curtains on them. That shit's gonna, like, how is nothing on fire? (laughs) That is the tagline for my life. How is nothing on fire? Something's on fire somewhere. That's another good tagline. I try. A mess. Also, I appreciate you calling out the already used footage of Harry being thrown into the window. Yeah, he gets thrown into the window twice, and it's like, you used that footage. It's like identical. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I really liked in the book, too, is that, I mean, it's apparating. It is, like, hopping from the countryside to the city, and, like, you don't get that here. It really is just about Harry's journey, which I get it. It's the movie. It's fun to watch. I mean, because in the movie, if they were having it apparate everywhere, sure, you could have it be like, oh, now it's, you know, on the moors. Now it's in the countryside. Now it's in the middle of the city. But, like... I think it is more entertaining to watch the action of a, like, slam on the the brakes in front of a little old lady and squeeze between double-deckers and shit like that. That's fun. Those two things were uh, some of those embellishments, I think, too, but it's changes definitely for the purpose of the movie. Oh, yeah. And even, like, at the very end where it stops and it, like, just grazes the bumper of that car and the alarm goes off. And the way that they make that, like, a tell... Mm-hmm. For Tommy and Keeper to come out yep. and be like, oh, there's a person. And that's the thing. It's Tom the innkeeper instead of Cornelius Fudge. Like he has I a said, fucking office there. He's like, yeah. I spread out my giant ass office. However, like before we get there, something else that I mentioned is how Tom the innkeeper is another victim of Flitwick disease. Yeah. Completely, completely different than the first the way movie. the character looks. Yes. Like completely he goes into this, like you said, this grandiose office that he has. Yeah, it's and elaborate. And I tend to not like Fudge as a person and his actions in the movie more. It's like he's kind of walking into Fudge just kind of like spouting this off. Where I do think, even though he is kind of like putting his hands on Harry too much in the book, he's coming off a little bit more personal. A little bit more like trying to calm Harry and stuff. I agree. I mean, I think so that's went to the time spent on screen yeah. in the scene. Now, in the movie, like, Tom is manhandling to yeah. Harry. He's just like, here, come on, let me shove this chair you're in. And, like, even he's, like, calls for Hedwig to be with him because he's so fucking uncomfortable there. <laughs> you know, again, like, it told what it needed to do. And the actor who plays Fudge is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I'm pretty good with this chapter. I mean, the next chapter is a whole different ball of wax, but <laughs> but this one does get everything across. I think it focuses enough on the bus and gives it a little bit more color that is more suitable for a movie. So I don't hate it. Yeah, I don't either.
I do not have a lot of points for this chapter. Wow. Yes, and I'm not get, taking any away. Oh, what? Yeah, I know. So, and this is a little bit different <laughs> because some of these characters aren't necessarily the best, but I'm like, you know what? We're focusing on them now. Sure, why not? I gave plus to understand Shunpike because I think he's a fun character. I think he is very awkward and a little bit imposing. And some of it is almost even like Stan Shunpike in the movie. Like, I think that actor portrays it so well. The moment before he gets on the bus, I really enjoy. So plus 10 to Stan Shunpike. I'm also going to give plus 10 to Cornelius Fudge. I can't believe I'm saying that. But I do... I'm sure he'll lose them. It's fine. He will fine. definitely lose them. So no worries. Because I do kind of like his approach. I think he is showing a little bit more leadership. And I think he's sort of protecting boundaries, so I didn't completely hate him. I think that it was a pretty solid chapter for Cornelius Fudge. And the other person giving plus ten to is Hedwig, <laughs> who is the only one who maybe truly deserves those points. But um, Hedwig's a smart owl. She arrived there just in time. She knew. I love her. So plus ten to Hedwig. Hedwig. Woo! Yes. Plus ten Cornelius, Stan, Shan, and Hedwig. Nice. Yeah. So, we got through the net bus. Woo! Next time. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. We'll see you next time. And now available for download. Yeah, that's right. We're going to open that second bottle of wine. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. Bye! If you didn't enjoy us, then we're so, you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, snitches. snitches!